leaving aside the disaster that is our current federal parliament, this is not on anyone's agenda uh, at the federal government. And this is not a ballot question. The senators can have whatever opinions they want about support for this until they go and get support from all 10 provinces and from the federal government to amend the criminal code. What's the point in this conversation? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. On this penultimate Thursday of November 2023, we send along the heartiest and hungriest happy Thanksgiving wishes to our family and friends in the United States of America. This hour, regular contributors Amanda Brewer, Phil Gray, Mark Silver, and Mike Day will be with us. Lindsay Slater, the Senior Vice President of Compliance for GeoComply, uh, comes back to the show very, very shortly to discuss the opening of the company's new offices in Toronto this week. And later in the hour, we're expecting Troy Ross of TRM Public Affairs to drop by. First off, while our friends at the border are watching the Packers Alliance and preparing for the uh, for the Thanksgiving feast, want to welcome Lindsay Slater to the show. And, and Lindsay, um, it's obviously great to see you and, and, and Julie Cred and Amy Barber and, and the rest of the folk at the official opening of your new office on, uh, on Monday afternoon. And first of all, I just want to say what a great, uh, beautiful space. And for, I think, the 50 employees you have working in Toronto now, like just a, just a fabulous location. Yeah, thanks for coming out to our event. It was really great to have our, our industry friends and partners and, and two of Ontario's ministers attend as well. Um, I think one of the, the jokes was that uh, we, we did have a, a smaller office opening just over a year ago. So this was our 2.0 that was more permanent and uh, where we've, we've definitely found our feet in Ontario. Uh, Lindsay, I got to think too. Just you had uh, was a nice, nice location too down to Liberty Village. But I, I would think that being downtown is like a ten minute walk to Union Station, and and right in the heart of Toronto. I'm, I'm sure your employees are, are happy being right at Young and Richmond. Yeah, we. Um, I mean, I think what we want to do is is build out our office as a tech hub and with with talented, innovative individuals as part of our team. So, yeah, being centrally located there we think is going to be excellent for for us to attract the talent that we're looking for uh, their part lindsay it was you know obviously from a geo comply and a gaming industry standpoint it was it was uh positive on monday to have um doug downey the attorney general of ontario and and vic fidelli the uh, the minister of economic development job creation and trade for the provincial government there as, as well. And something we've talked about on the show a, a lot over the last couple of years, and, and Vic, uh, Vic Fidelli alluded to this, is just how strong that the tech core is in Ontario. And we led with uh, with the office opening in the Tuesday newsletter, and, and Fidelli mentioned uh, during his brief remarks on Monday that, uh, you know, as far as the technology sector goes, Ontario, I think, produces around 414,000 workers right now. And, and Fidelity also pointed to 65,000 tech grads com- coming out each year and, and also talked about uh, the strength of, of um, the province's fintech and, and financial services sectors as, as well. Um, it, it must I, I know part of your story is, is bringing workers over from Ukraine um, more than a year ago, Lindsay, you know, and, and, and helping those people get away from what's the, the terrible stuff that's going on in their war with Russia. Uh, but at the same time, having this office in Toronto, I assume, has also allowed you to tap into that technology talent here in the province. 
Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we have almost a, a couple dozen Ukrainians that have been part of the GeoComply family for, for years and years, some uh, as long as a, a, a decade that have now settled in Toronto. And uh, one is the, what was one of the original reasons why we had set up an office there, but obviously to support the the new uh, Ontario gaming market. So those two events came together um, well for, for our story in Toronto. But uh, like you said, Toronto is a great hub for talented people, new graduates, innovation, and, and also the hub of all kinds of financial services. And, and uh, part of the, the story that we want to continue to build at GeoComply is the way in which we can not only support the growing gaming industry in Ontario, but also the other innovative tech that we can offer um, the, the, the fintech, the non-gaming world. So, I mean, when we see headlines like uh, the big ones from about Binance this week um, and what's going on in, in that area of, of the world with, with crypto exchanges, this is just one of, of many opportunities that RegioComply sees its, its story building out. Something I just want to mention too, Lindsay, and it's it's something we've touched on with Amanda in the past, and, and Nick Salski, and, uh, and and other people across the industry and in the regulated market here in Ontario, is that not only are, are tech people supporting the Ontario businesses, whether it's a sports book operator or as a supplier, but um, those employees are actually doing work internationally, and I, I assume that's the same case with with your Toronto office, where they're they're just not focused on the Ontario business, but they're also working across other jurisdictions. Yeah, we we have lo uh, lots of customers that are in in the U.S. Uh, and and also gaming companies, streaming media and entertainment, and some and, and fintech projects that we have that are international. Uh, so some of our, our, our technical and operational talent in Toronto are, are core to, to those customers, core to those projects. Um, and I mean, I think as we hopefully see uh, evolution of some gaming policy across Canada in the coming months and, and years, given that Ontario has been a first mover in a new regulatory framework for, for gaming, naturally we're going to have more people in, in Ontario that will likely be supporting that, that expansion too across Canada. Another thing that you mentioned during your remarks on Monday, Lindsay, and I, I've heard this from GeoComply, I think John Pappas has mentioned on the show before as well, is that um, you know, GeoComply as a stakeholder in the gaming industry, you're, you're certainly on board with seeing what's happened in Ontario move into uh, in other provinces uh, across the country. I'm, I'm just wondering, I know, you know, John Pappas certainly has a background in, in regulatory affairs and, and working with, with governments. Is, is GeoComply involved in those same efforts to, to bring regulated gambling models into other provinces across Canada? Yeah, I mean, we, we would love to be doing business in our own backyard, uh, you know, with, with our gaming industry, uh, where, where I am here in Vancouver, at least. And uh, we see we see that as a, a big, big future opportunity for us. Obviously, um, that that can involve a, a lot of evolution of policy, and we think that there's definitely the appetite for it. A because of you know, the economic success that's been witnessed so far in Ontario, and how that could be duplicated elsewhere. But uh, you know, also there's there's a lot of priorities uh, here in British Columbia for um, protection against money laundering, and uh, rolling out policy outside of gaming around 
um, you know, increased regulation for consumer protections and what this means for for other fintech businesses. So I mean, all, all those things drive really well with the, the technology that we build and we see it as a natural fit for for uh, for for all of those areas. So, yeah, that that's definitely a focus of ours and exciting opportunities to come. One of the things I, I really, you know, I always give a lot of credit to with GeoCompliance is the company does a great job with when they, uh, with the geolocation and identity fraud work that they do is providing graphics to show what's going on in different jurisdictions. And um, part of the, uh, the, I guess, kind of in the background on, on Monday, and again, it was, saw a lot of people around the industry, um, Amanda and, and Troy included but just looking at some of those slides and again we we did showcase some of them in the tuesday newsletter uh a couple of things kind of stood out to me again just the strength and the power and the influence that the national football league has on on betting and that's just not in, in the u.s but we're seeing it in ontario as well from from the reports that you're producing and then also just you know there's a slide called protecting ontario's border and it, it mentions about 105,000 attempts from from uh, people based based in Quebec who have been we're trying to place bets so far in the NFL season. I think we're about 10 weeks in. I think today's the start of week week 11. Um, but those graphs really show, I guess, two things. One, just what GeoComplied does in terms of protecting uh, protecting regulated environments, but also secondly, perhaps the appetite there is for uh, for Quebecers um, who are who are looking for uh, a regulated gambling model that goes goes beyond what Lotto Quebec provides right now. Yeah, I mean, we we can absolutely see the the appetite of those that are attempting to access regulated Ontario sites from Quebec or from other provinces. That I think is a testament to um, what a regulated website means for the individual consumer. If they're seeking that out, then. Uh, you know, considering policy that might enable those types of options in other provinces definitely sounds as though it's worth examining, worth a consultation. Um, I think from some of the other graphs and, and numbers and things that we were showing at our event this week, uh, as you alluded to, just the, the, the traffic increases and whatnot since the, the football season started in September, um, we also saw interesting things like a 90% increase in new accounts being created by Ontarians. Um, you know, a, a large part of what GeoComply is doing is evaluating what, you know, where are those new accounts created? Are there any integrity issues around them? Uh, helping operators prevent things like you know, bonus abuse, identity theft, payment fraud as they uh, uh, onboard new customers. Hey, Lindsay, I did uh, I did give you a heads up this morning too, and I and I wanted I just wanted to bring it up with you is that you know we don't we don't see Anna Sainsbury speaking a, a whole lot, the co-founder and CEO at GeoComply, but um, came across first thing this morning, and as I was putting the finishing touches on the newsletter, uh, a post from Anna on, on LinkedIn last night about um, a legal action that was taken yesterday by the U.S. Department of Justice against Binance and. Uh, Anna's comments were really just about, uh, you know, about the importance of creating a, a, a digital ecosystem that upholds public safety. And I just can you maybe just talk a little bit of, about that and, and help our audience understand the significance of the action taken by the Department of Justice? 
Sure. Um, I mean, if you read into the details of the in indictment, what you'll find is, you know, there's there's four point three billion dollars worth of fines that finance is is uh, is now facing. Um, this is the biggest penalty in the history of the Treasury Department. So uh, definitely a, a large statement and something to be paying attention to. Um, for for us, when we look at the details of what those fines mean, you know, a billion of them were specific to traffic coming from sanctioned countries. Um, and this is at the heart of what GeoComplied does is helping helping uh, operators identify where is traffic coming from. Is this a risk to their business? Is is there a financial crime that could could be uh, exposing them to risk at the heart of what's going on? Um, and then you know there were a number of other illicit activities that I know have been reported on loaded into this about uh, things like, you know, uh, uh, child uh, sexual abuse materials uh, at the, the heart of some of the the investigations that have taken place. Those are all things, that's another area that GeoComplaint donates its technology to, uh, to different organizations and law enforcement to use, again, to get to the root of um, where where are people located? It has their identity, uh, you know, been investigated, and and really securing a better internet for all that that use it and interact with it. Uh, last question for you, Lindsay. Just with uh, with the new Toronto office again. You, I think you're at about fifty employees now. Do you expect to see further expansion? And if so, what what kind of uh, what what areas of the company would you you see placing more people in Toronto? Yeah, we have fifty or sixty people there now. I think our office is set for for up to a hundred, and right now a lot of those are um, operational, IT, um, technical roles and I, I think as as the Ontario market grows there's also a place for you know the business development sales aspects of our company for them to be stationed there uh, and as Canada or as, as regulated gaming may expand across Canada um, a place for, for to, to support that there. Uh, great stuff. Uh, Lindsay Slater is the senior vice president of compliance for GeoComply and and uh, Lindsay, thanks. Uh, GeoComply has been the presenting sponsor of our newsletter uh, all fall. So we certainly appreciate having the support from uh, from a Canadian uh, company. Uh, as I mentioned, it was great to catch up with you on Monday. Also to meet uh, meet Julian Cret, your chief operating officer, for the for the first time. And uh, we'll look forward to getting you back on the show, hopefully before the end of the year. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. I want to move on to the uh, to the lead story from the, from the newsletter. In case you you haven't had a chance to read the newsletter this morning, there was a, a webcast yesterday that uh, hosted by Senator Marty Deacon and uh, the senator. If you remember back in June, um, brought forward in the Senate uh, Bill S two six nine to create a national framework around sports betting advertising across across the country, and uh, this is. Uh, in relation to con concerns from from certain uh, certain Canadians about uh, the volume of advertising, also concerns that that the advertising is targeting uh, targeting youth. Marty hosted a panel yesterday. Senator Brent Cotter, Cotter who's also uh, a supporter of, of um, Marty's bill, was participating in that. Martin Sampson, who's the CEO of the Canadian Parks and Recreation Association, participated. Uh, also, uh, Jeremy Luke, the uh, the CEO of the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sport, and uh, and Bruce Kidd, the uh, University of Toronto um, 
sports uh, sports management and physical education uh, professor who's who's been both an athlete and, and been involved in the Canadian sports system for for decades. I'll maybe start with you, Amanda. But you know, not surprisingly, that the conversation was was fairly one sided. There was a lot of a lot of angst expressed about about sports betting, sports betting advertising. Uh, Senator Deacon did mention that there is some momentum towards uh, this bill getting passed. Uh, Troy Ross is going to join us in a, in a second here to give his thoughts on that. And, and Bruce Kidd also mentioned that he's been meeting with with MPs in the, in the Toronto area. One federal minister he spoke to said that uh, you know the door is already open to this this bill being passed. But maybe Amanda, just start with some general general thoughts on on what you read read in the news out of this morning. So I do have to confess, Steve, I read your newsletter every week, but I, I did not watch uh, Senator Deacon's uh, podcast because I could have predicted what that hour would have been about and what would have been said, and you pretty much confirmed it. Um, listen, this is no surprise that Senator Deacon is going to try and get support for her bill, but I think, you know, if you speak to Troy, and especially with Paul Burns, um, you know, Paul would be saying that the better way would be to kind of work with the industry on this issue because there are so many different you know things that fly through my head because the first thing is you know advertising is a tool that belongs to the regulated market and when you're seeing advertising it's because it's an operator that has a license you see the iGaming Ontario logo on any of those TV commercials you know they're a licensed and regulated operator in the province of Ontario um, let's go back, you know, three years ago when none of this existed and people were still managing to gamble and place bets and you had absolutely no idea if there were any player protections there for vulnerable people or what kind of KYC or what kind of banking options or where these 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 operators are even located in the world. Um, so advertising at this point, I think is something that we're all just gonna have to learn to live with. And I don't think it's fair for someone like Bruce Kidd to be describing it as a tsunami because it's not. And, you know, time and time again, I keep going back to that, you know, lonely Friday or Saturday night you had, Steve, when you took out your pencil and licked the tip and started making some observations about, in fact, how many sports betting ads you would see on, on an average night during a hockey broadcast. So I think that this is a lot of knee-jerk reaction to the first year of a regulated market. Um, and I think that, you know, it would be, you know, my preference that Senator Deacon work in consort with the industry in trying to, you know, determine, you know, what, if any additional changes are required, because we know the AGCO is already going to be implementing several. Um, but, you know, the fact is without the legal advertising, um, you know, that's a really important tool for both the regulator and the, the operators to use to direct customers to licensed and, and regulated, you know, casino sites, websites, um, because we still do have .NET advertising and we still do have a bit of a black market. I don't know if the channelization rate in Ontario has risen above the 80 something percent it was, um, you know, at, at the beginning of our first year anniversary, but I would bet it's not too hot, much higher than that, which means we still do have black market operators accessing the Ontario market. So those are some of my initial thoughts, but other, uh, my last thought is if Bruce Kidd is participating, I generally don't give it my time, any time of mine. I think he's yeah. got other stuff in his own backyard he should be focusing on. 
Yeah, I'll just add uh, to, just to what you said, Amanda. And I mentioned the newsletter this morning that I find it there's a you know more than a whiff of hypocrisy that that Bruce Kidd is is uh, you know re- referred to sports betting yesterday as as he's grossed out by it. Uh, you know, it's a tragic experience for for the culture of sport in this country, and and uh, I just find it more than ironic that that Bruce Kidd is someone who's fought. Uh, against voices from from athletes and and other people uh, who are calling for a, a federal inquiry into the into the Canadian sports system right now, and, and I'll just you know editorialize that the sports system in this country is badly broken and in need of re- repair right now. And so I find it really surprising that uh, that Bruce would be uh, you know would be against going down the path of a inquiry. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Hey there, sports fans. Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports Today, your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. I do want to get Troy Ross, the president of TRM Public Affairs, in here because, Troy, I know you uh, you also read the newsletter this morning and, and you you have some thoughts on, on Bill S269 and, and what Senator Deacon's trying to accomplish here. Yeah, Steve, I, I, I guess... Uh... I called you this morning after reading it, and, and my first reaction to the newsletter this morning was surprise. And and then after that, I thought, what a colossal waste of time. Uh, a national framework for gambling advertising might sound like a good idea, but it's simply beyond the remit of the Senate or of the Parliament of Canada. The, the senators pushing this agenda don't seem to understand the legislative framework. That, that governs gambling in this country. They don't understand how gambling in Canada is operated or regulated. And they also seem blissfully unaware that the federal government has no authority whatsoever over legal gambling products offered by Canadian provinces. Uh, you know, I think these senators would be far better off requesting a briefing from Ministry of Justice officials who could explain to them that the federal government vacated all authority over gambling in 1985. Um, so if they're prepared to go back and engage all 10 provinces again on potential criminal code amendments, rolling back the changes in the 1980s, I'd say we could have this conversation. But until they're willing to do that, this, this is a complete waste of time because the federal government doesn't have the authority to, to do anything here. I don't think it made in the news there that, that Brent Cotter, who has a law background and has you know, taught gambling at the University of Saskatoon, I believe, 
he did mention that uh, that the provinces need to be part of this this process, and he also mentioned the uh, the CRTC as well. But given your thoughts, like Marty Deacon was saying, this this is something that she thinks can get pushed across the finish line in, in sometime in 2024. But from what you're saying, there's there's not a a snowball chance in hell that's going to happen. I, leaving aside the disaster that is our current federal parliament, and and whether or not the home heating oil decision is going to is going to force an election. Um, this is not on anyone's agenda uh, at the federal government, and this is not going to get anyone at the federal government. This is not a ballot question. So, I think the senators can have whatever opinions they want about support for this uh, until they go and get support from all ten provinces and from the federal government to amend the criminal code what's the point in this conversation troy you're you're someone that represents a number of, of sports books and in, in, in the industry and uh you know that man is point it, it just seems to me it would make more sense rather to than to have just a bunch of people who obviously don't like what they're seeing with with sports betting advertising is to actually bring the operators to the table like the alcohol and gaming commission ontario are doing are doing right now with with their proposed uh uh changes to to this to the standards but i guess at the same time as you point out at the top of top here maybe maybe that's just a waste of time and and is there any point in in the industry um uh engaging with with uh sender deke and sender cotter i won't speak on behalf of the clients i, I guess the question that i would have them pose is, uh, is, is there a value engaging with provincial governments? Is there value engaging with provincial gambling regulators on, on what a regulatory regime and reasonable advertising uh, guidelines are? Absolutely. Is there a lot of value engaging with a senator who seems to have already made up their mind? Probably not. The other issue, the other part of this webcast too, was you know Jeremy Luke from the CCS talking about the need to to educate athletes uh, about match fixing and and uh, you know he Jeremy pointed out that uh, I think Think Sport Radar they they've their data shows that about uh, thirteen there are thirteen billion dollars wagered on wagered on the Tokyo Olympics and uh, uh, the last Summer Olympics and one hundred and fifty million dollars of that money came came from from Canada. Um, Amanda, we, we've discussed this and it came up again last week at the, uh, the primetime sports management conference that, uh, that you and, and Nick Salski and Scott Woodgate appeared at. And, and again, it just seems to me in, in a regulated industry, uh, there's more checks and balances put in place to guard about guard around match fixing at, at the same time. I mean, I don't disagree with Jeremy. I think, you know, educating athletes is, is critical. And we've seen leagues like the Canadian football league do that. And both the NHL and the NHL players association in the aftermath of the shame penal suspension have, have told me that they, they need to do a better job educating players and, and other support staff about match fixing and, and sports betting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's almost like they conflate a few different issues too, right? Because the advertising of regulate a, a regulated industry with regulated operators is one thing, um, and the spillover in other provinces. I do understand how that can be irritating, but again, that's not the fault of the industry. Um, you know, match fixing and the need to educate athletes is is a separate issue, although it's it's as important. 
Um, and I, and you know, it, it's, it's the drum that the Canadian gaming association will continue to beat, which is like, unless you bring this activity out into the light, how else can you verify that the appropriate player protections are there? You have absolutely no idea. Like any other province that's not doing what Ontario is doing has absolutely no idea if the unlicensed operators that are accessing their province, um, you know, are doing any of the KYC or offering RG tools or, you know, having customer service support there, you know, making sure that the payouts, you know, when customers are looking to withdraw are fast and accurate. Like, who knows? Nobody knows because this is all happening in the, in the shadows. Um, and as, you know, Troy has talked about and, you know, we've talked about in the past too, like, they're not all equal operators. You have others, you have some that have been in business for a long time. They're in tier one jurisdictions. They hold multiple licenses in tier one jurisdictions all over the world. They're traded, publicly traded. And, you know, that's, you know, 99.999% of the time you don't have issues with them. Um, but then you've got a whole other bunch that are based in Curacao, maybe trading only or using only, you know, currency that you can't use in Ontario, which is crypto. Um, and all other kinds of things happen. So, you know, you're not always going to be able to trust that, you know, checks and balances are there. Um, the benefit of a regulated market, and you look at what Ontario's public policy objectives were, you know, other than, you know, providing as, as much consumer choice as possible, it was putting player protections in place. Um, so, you know, it continues to be a bit of a head scratch or that, you know, it's, it's never that, you know, we've talked about this, it's never that it's going to be a top political imperative to license and regulate this. But given that there's a template that's available in Ontario, um, it's a bit of a head scratcher that more provinces aren't, aren't moving to just deal with this and have it done. Try. I'm gonna. I'm gonna uh, get you in this too. But uh, um, I also want to get Mark Silver in here. I'll maybe start with Mark. But you know, um, Mark, you're you're a dad. Troy's a father. Uh, Martin Sampson from the Canadian Parks and Recreation Association. He mentioned uh, yesterday on the webcast that he had written a letter to uh, to the broadcasters, Sportsnet and CBC in particular, and the NHL and the NHLPA. Um, uh, last spring during the Stanley Cup playoffs because he was concerned about the volume of advertising. And he, Mart, Martin's got two teenage sons who are hockey players, and he was really concerned about uh, about the ads that they were watching and, and the, uh, the betting integration worked into the into the broadcasts. And, uh, you know, his he believes that those, those ads are targeting youth, maybe not necessarily to have them bet on sports today, but but down the road. And Mark, you and I were having a conversation this morning about this issue, and maybe I'll just start with you on that. I think there's no getting away from it, Steve. I mean, we, we can look at the regulated gaming environment and what is being done by the operators, media, and RG, but we don't have to look any further than Tim Hortons, and, and maybe this is lost a little bit in our conversations here, Steve, week to week. But, you know, my, my kids, two of my kids, you know, they, they have the Tim Hortons app. They can go in there. Every night at the NHL plays and they, they can make their picks and they can have their streaks. And, you know, if they're rewarded, uh, they win, they win points. So there is a monetary value to that. I'm giving these examples to the group here because I, I want to illustrate that this is so far reaching in our society today that the concept of fantasy gaming, fun within, you know, these environments within Tim Hortons, a major, major advertiser 
uh, for many sports organizations. And if you're going to go after one industry being the, you know, the regulated gaming industry, then you're doing Canadians a disservice because this is pervasive in our society. And, and Steve and I, when Steve and I spoke this morning, we were actually talking about a different industry. We were talking about how uh, the makeup manufacturers prey on young girls. Where, where's the uproar on that? You know, my, my daughter, I mean, now she's older, but when she was younger, she could walk into Shoppers Drug Mart. I don't want to pick on Shoppers. I'm just using it as an example because it's our local cosmetic store. She can walk into Shoppers Drug Mart. They don't ask her for ID. She can pay with cash and she could walk away with a product that could hurt her skin. Where's the protection there? And we're not even talking about regulated industries here. So I, I think taking the time of these parliamentarians to talk about things that Right now, we don't have data. You know, I've listened to Mike Narain, listened to you, Troy, listened to others. We don't have the data to actually determine what is the harm. Um, there are many, many other categories that we should be focusing on as society to protect people from. Troy? Yeah, I, I agree with Mark. Listen, I, I think it's, it's borderline absurd that the naysayers about the gambling industry are complaining about what is now a regulated uh, regulated system in Ontario. Um, from my perspective, the bigger concern, and it should be the bigger concern for all of these folks like so-called professors of sports and public policy, are why are they complaining about a regulatory regime in Ontario that is meeting most of the, the public policy objectives it's set, including responsible gaming standards, requiring for people to, to go through the RG check system um, and, and introducing a whole series of standards, you'd think the bigger public policy concern for these folks would be the lack of any regulatory oversight in the rest of the country. Um, I, I just find that baffling. Lindsay Slater, see, Lindsay's hung around. I don't know, Lindsay, if you, you have some thoughts on this issue, but I, I thought I'd ask anyway. Well, I, I think I can probably echo Troy's comments, too. I mean, uh, GeoComplet believes that, that regulation, the presence of regulation, is going to bring consumer protections to the maximum number of consumers. And so, yeah, I, I, I believe that a focus on... Um, on creating regulatory frameworks where consumers can be tr protected in larger numbers should should be the priority and uh, regulation of advertising that comes along with those frameworks is is going to provide the, that greatest number of protections. Hey, so. um, uh, that's great. Thanks, Lindsay. Man, I'm going to get you and I want to get Troy on this as well. But, um, you know, Bruce Kidd mentioned uh, on the webcast yesterday about placing a complete ban on, on sports betting and advertising. And, and Amanda, um, one of the questions that got brought up at the end of the panel last week at the primetime sports conference was um, the suggestion that, that gambling advertising should be banned just like tobacco and cannabis advertising has been, been banned. What, 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 do you, what do you say when you get asked that question? So we're going to ban like the LCBO's food and drink magazine now because that's also an addictive substance. And there are devastated stories in, in thousands and thousands of families about alcoholics in their family. And I'm pretty sure that underage people can still find ways to buy you know, beer and vodka if they, you know, work hard enough at it. So I, I don't even understand how a licensed and regulated market were even talking about this. I mean, 
sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated that, you know, banning things is exactly what drives the activity underground and what makes it more dangerous for people who want to try and engage in the activity. Banning it is just going to make operators, you know, lose the advantage of that license that they've worked really hard to get. And they will now be competing on the same field with the, you know, unregulated and unlicensed operators in Ontario. And so at that point in time, you know, what would be the point of standards if you're going to be trying really hard to to make this activity basically verboten? So I a thousand percent agree with what Troy is saying, like instead of wasting time trying to meddle in something that they don't even have jurisdictional control over, um, why don't they instead, you know, say, it would be way better if we could actually ensure that vulnerable people, you know, don't get the ability to open accounts and that, you know, we have responsible gambling standards and KYC standards and all the rest of it so that people who want to engage in this activity are able to do so in a responsible way. You know, so I'm, I just, I'm just going to sigh and let Troy or someone else talk now. <laughs> Troy, Troy, I'll let you pick up on Amanda's sigh. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I guess the the central question for the people proposing an outright ban on advertising of gambling products is is that just online? Is it sports betting only? Uh, does that include a ban on the Lottery Corporation? Uh, Dare to Dream ads for six forty nine and Lotto Max. Does that include all of the terrestrial casinos that employ thousands of people across the country? Is it lottery tickets? Is it the horse racing industry? I mean, the question I would go forward with is: Does that also include the Princess Margaret Hospital and and other large charitable hospital lotteries that that raise millions of dollars for those worthwhile causes? Um, because if you're going to have a principles-based approach here and, and gambling is bad, then let's have that conversation. All gambling is bad or all gambling should be regulated and should have some goalposts set around it. Uh, I think the latter is probably the one that, that's going to get the most support. But if, if people want to have the discussion around banning of all forms of, of advertising of a legal product, Happy to have that. Hey, Troy, we, we have seen, you know, and, and again, this got brought up on the webcast. Yes, I, I, I do think it's a valid point that we have seen uh, countries in, in Europe and, and Australia have, have placed certain restrictions around sports betting advertising, whether that's being during, uh, during game, during sporting events, uh, you know, after or I guess before 9 p.m. at night or whatever. Do you think there is kind of a, 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 a compromise in, ter in terms of having some some kind of restrictions around the advertising? Yeah, I think there is. And, and I think Ontario has already struck that balance, frankly. Uh, you know, you look at the jurisdictions, Steve, that have introduced outright bans. Uh, United Kingdom, Italy, didn't take long for the state of New York to, to ban advertising. Those jurisdictions are starting from a very different place than the province of Ontario. When the government was rolling out the first casinos in the, in the early to mid 1990s, the government took a very uh, 
reasonable approach on responsible gambling. And we baked RG into absolutely everything that the government was doing. So at that time, we committed 2% of all revenues to responsible gaming research and treatment. That was unheard of anywhere else in the world. Uh, now, Ontario's fairly new at regulating online gambling. And I would say, you know, there are lots of lessons to be learned. Um, and, and I think the AGCO is doing that and, and pulling best practices from a series of other jurisdictions. But that's on the regulatory side of online gambling. I don't think there are very many jurisdictions in the world that have much to teach Ontario about uh, funding and supporting responsible gambling. That has been part of the policy framework in this jurisdiction for 30 plus years. Amanda, one of the questions that this is something that Mike Noreen from Brock University has brought up when he's been on the on the show and and. Um, you know, the, the kind of need for research around this. And, and it, it struck me again yesterday when watch, watching the replay of the webcast is that people talk about concerns and, and problem gambling and what it's doing to young people. But, you know, there's no, they're not pointing to any studies in, in Canada. There, there are no, no cases or, or numbers. Is there any kind of an update and just putting on your Canadian Gaming Association hat? And, and I might be putting you on the spot here, so I, I apologize if that's the case. But is there is there anything along those lines right now where, where operators are seeing any kind of research and any kind of numbers for, for problem gambling hikes? I don't have any current or up-to-date data at my fingertips. And Troy, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that there is on the RGC side, I think Flutter and it could be one or two of your clients have funded some research that the Responsible Gambling Council is undertaking. I know at the December 5th symposium on player health and well-being that the CGA is um, putting on, Ipsos will be there uh, discussing research, what research and on what I don't know yet. Um, but I know that there is definitely an, an understanding of, you know, the need for some Ontario specific um, or Canadian specific um, data on this because we're all getting really tired of everyone kind of waving around UK statistics in our face and telling us because it happened there, it's going to happen here. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely something that's in the works, but good research, you, you want it to be in the field for a while. You want people to be able to analyze the data and extract the proper uh, conclusions from it. So I expect as we get into 2024, we'll, we'll hear a little bit more about that. Just want to go quickly back to, uh, we, we, we addressed this last week, both, both at the primetime conference and again on on the uh, the gaming news Canada show last week, and again, that's the notion that these ads are are targeting kids. And I, I think if um, you know you and Mark and Troy and Lindsay and Mike Day and anybody else here today and, and myself had a conversation, uh, we might question whether or not you know Wayne Gretzky is is uh, is someone that twelve year old kids are are following these days. And um, you know, just like I, I think. Bobby Orr's been in the news quite a bit this week. And if you ask, you know, Troy's uh, teenage kids or Mark's teenage son who who Bobby Orr is, they, they probably wouldn't know unless, you know, hockey crazy dads are telling Bobby Orr stories all the time. But I, I mean, I think maybe just for the audience again, and for anybody who hasn't listened to the show before, it just uh, that, that it's, you know, it's just it's just not that simple for for sportsbook operators to do advertising that's to target towards kids. And also, it's it's virtually impossible for any 
person under the age of 19 to get a sportsbook account. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like we've kind of been circling that one quite a bit <laughs> lately. Um, I mean, especially because we get the bleeds up here from the U.S. and the U.S. Um, operators, depending what state we're seeing the the ad beamed in from, have different rules and regulations than they do in Ontario. Um, so it's part and parcel of, of the challenge of, you know, you might be watching a, I'm just going to say DraftKings commercial, nothing wrong with any of the DraftKings commercials, but it's just what's come to mind. But, you know, you might be watching a DraftKings commercial that's coming in from south of the border. And, you know, unless you're paying close attention or you're really in the know about these kinds of things, you might just assume it's an Ontario ad when in fact it's not. Um, you know, going back to the main key points, which is there's no operator that is developing ads, putting all that time, money, creative energy, you know, back to the money, because these ads are not cheap. The airtime is not cheap. They are not going to be putting ads on that are going to be targeting minors because that's in clear violation of the standards. And who is going to be deliberately going out to do that? And there's not a single operator to date that has been found to be in violation of that standard of, of deliberately targeting minors with their advertising or their marketing campaigns, like full stop, full stop. So we go back to, you know, a comment made during the roundtables that the AG so hosted and there were questions made about, you know, because they're trying to figure out the guidelines now, the enhanced guidelines for use of celebrities and influencers and athletes. And, you know, they said quite reasonably, like it's not reasonable to expect there'll be no advertising at Skydome. Sorry, Roger Center. I'm showing <laughs> my age, showing my age. Um, because children go there. You have to think about who the majority of your audience is. Is the majority of your audience at any Blue Jays game under the age of 19? No. Is your majority of your audience watching Hockey Night in Canada under the age of 19? No. So you will be able to see these ads. You will be able to see marketing in, in the locations because, it, you know, the majority of the people going there who are buying the tickets to go attend these events or who are paying for the subscription to watch the channel. These are adults. And, you know, the last point, Steve, is again, the benefit of a regulated market is the KYC process. So you might be able to be, you know, 18 years old and trying to create an account for yourself. But the minute they start asking for your proof of identity or they're gonna be going on LinkedIn to find out if the job you said you have actually matches what they can find on LinkedIn, or they're gonna be asking you for bank accounts to prove that the income you claim you have is, is actually sitting in your bank account. That's when you find yourself all of a sudden blocked, right? And that's not just 18 year olds, that's anybody who can't produce those documents. So this is just, you know, again, the system of checks and balances, making sure that only the people who can engage in this entertainment activity, because this is an entertainment activity in a responsible way, are the ones who are allowed to open accounts and deposit money and then wager. Hey, Troy, last question on this. And I really, uh, really appreciate you coming on today and sharing your insight along with uh, Amanda and Lindsay. But I'd, I'd say sharing the load alongside Amanda. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I do. I do believe, Troy, that there. To your point earlier, that there has been a, a course correction, and and uh, you know, I I I watch a lot of hockey night in Canada. I, I think the sports interaction um, uh, campaign and integration is is a lot lot better and and less intrusive than what we saw with uh, with hockey night in Canada a, a year ago. 
Um, again, we've talked about the FanDuel TSN relationship on the show many, many times in the, in the newsletter. And I think they've been successful in, in integrating sports betting into, into a sports broadcasts without, uh, you know, without hitting people over the head with, uh, with, a, with an anvil. I'm just wondering, Troy, with your clients, like how much time is being spent with your clients right now on this, on the sports betting advertising issue? I, you know, that that's not something that I typically get involved in, in, in advising on. That's, uh, you know, I, I stick to the government engagement and regulatory engagement, uh, not, not the advertising strategy. But I think, you know, when the EGCO came out and started telegraphing that they were going to make some changes and that uh, uh, that athletes were no longer going to be an acceptable uh, set of spokespeople, I think people just made the adjustment um, and moved on from that. I, I think that, you know, they, they have legitimate questions around what constitutes an influencer and what constitutes an influencer that may appeal or may predominantly appeal to, to an underage uh, person. But I think for the most part, most of the operators have, have adjusted and moved on. Troy Ross is the president of TRM Public Affairs. Hey, Troy, I'm hoping, hoping maybe you can hang there a little, little bit longer. I just realized Phil Gray has been patiently sitting by with the, the mute button on. And, and Phil, I just wanted to get you in here if you, just if you have any comments on, on the, last, uh, the last 20 minutes or so. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to butt in. You know I like to butt in sometimes, Steve. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're seeing right now um, is, is fairly predictable in, in the terms of legislative intervention. Um, they've, they've jumped on the, the two hot button topics, um, advertising with athletes and responsible gaming. Um, certainly, as we as an industry, uh, as Amanda said, um, have covered the responsible gaming to the extent that we can. Uh, so it becomes a political issue for, you know, uh, guys like Bruce Kidd and that to, uh, you know, jump on something that's in the news. All, all these sports gambling ads that you see that the public, you know, there has been uh, a, a bit of an outcry. What I think you will see next, and it's it's unfolding a little bit faster than I thought it would, but uh, you're going to see more legislative intervention uh, amongst um, sportsbook gaming models. Um, you know, how much can you win? How much can you lose? How much can you have in your balance? And that will come in the next year or two. So really, this is the tip of the iceberg right now. But as certainly as, you know, as everyone in the industry um, has said, uh, the regulated gaming market, I mean, we've, we've been in this for a long time. A lot of us have come from, uh, you know, the gray market. Um, the models are there for uh, a much better environment for the consumer. Uh, but, uh, you know, bureaucrats and, and the legislators don't see that. Sometimes it's about votes. They get onto a, a topic and uh, they think they can make something out of it. It will. It, 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 it's only just begun, Steve. Trust me, in, in North America. Right. Great. Great. Good. Thanks, Phil. Hey, Troy, just on the regu regulatory side, I, I want to get you and Amanda before we wrap up here. And uh, uh, Mark Heast had a, a, an interesting story in the uh, in CDC gaming reports this week, and, and it's mentioned in the on the home front section of, of the newsletter for our paid subscribers today. And that's uh, you know the comments, recent comments of uh, Patrick uh, Digg, the president and CEO of the of Atlantic Lottery, um, in the aftermath of, of their latest annual report, kind of lamenting the illegal gambling businesses are out there and and mark did reach out to paul burns of the canadian gaming association and and paul did uh you know talk about the ontario model and and perhaps it makes sense 
for um, for the maritime provinces to uh, adopt that model. Troy, we obviously the industry we've talked a lot about Alberta and BC and Quebec, and Lindsay brought up you know looking at different other jurisdictions across the country at their uh, the office opening on on Monday. Um, like, are the is it, are the Atlantic provinces big enough that you can see you can see operators having an appetite to to go into into those markets? You know, I think there's an appetite to go to go into any market where uh, where the operators are invited with a reasonable uh, and commercially sensible regulatory regime. Um, you know, you look at you look at some of the examples in in Europe. Um, I'm probably going to get the the jurisdiction right. It was either uh, Estonia or Latvia that introduced a regulatory regime probably 10 years ago. Uh, and the majority of the online gaming operators immediately applied for a license. Uh, and we're talking about a jurisdiction that's a million and a half, two million people. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't think they're going to turn their nose up uh, at, at uh, jurisdictions that are inviting them and that offer a reasonable regulatory regime with a reasonable tax rate. Hey, Amanda, is that become a little bit more complicated in the Maritimes just because you're dealing with what four four provinces I guess no not really I think you know it's it's part and parcel to Canada has been gray for so long um and it's something I've talked about in the past which is you, you gotta kind of envision like a really you know well entrenched weed right and what you're going to try and do now is just you know, dig out this, all the roots that have now been planted because it's been in the ground for so long. It takes effort. And the only thing that's really going to pop those suckers out is a, a regulatory regime like what has been implemented in Ontario. There's no other way to deal with really deeply embedded, you know, operators in your backyard than by, you know, as Troy pointed out, if Estonia can get a whole bunch of them to come in and get a license, then, you know, there's really no excuse in any other province. The challenge in the Atlantic Canada region will be the population size and that it will not be attractive to, let's say, the 47 operators in Ontario. Maybe there will only be 10 that will decide to come in and get licenses. But what it will be able to do then is dictate the terms and conditions around advertising, around um, you know, around uh, events that get held around, you know, any sports sponsorships that happen. So then it, you know, it won't, I, you know, it won't have, it'll have some tools then to fight back against operators who are just showing up with brand ambassadors to do some, you know, some events in their capital or in, on university campuses or things like that. So, you know, I think it's just a little bit of, you know, spilt milk at this point that they're crying over. And, yeah, you know, if they're not going to want to sit down and have an honest conversation, but what it would take to launch a regulated regime, then at this point, like no one, no one from the industry is really paying attention. Hey, Lindsay Slater, I'll give you maybe give you the last word on this because again, we we have uh, I think what thirty six, thirty seven U.S. states now with with uh, legal online sports betting. To Troy and Amanda's point, I mean, Maine's not a very big state, and it launched uh, legal sports betting or regulated sports betting recently uh, have you have you heard any rumblings at all or any any thoughts of your own on, on 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 a regulated model going to the maritimes i would say that i think uh our industry's attention is on the biggest population centers a lot of the time right like quebec or bc 
obviously what, what might be happening in, in the coming months in Alberta. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Atlantic Canada still isn't a, a very viable opportunity for our industry. I think what's unique about, um, about Atlantic Canada is, you know, while Amanda, you, you'd voiced maybe not necessarily an issue that there's the, the four different provinces. But I, th I think uh, the nice thing about building out a regulatory regime is if, if those provinces decide that they want to have their own iterations of, of a new framework and maybe one of them wants, you know, a, some some version of a gaming product and another one doesn't, you know, we're used to seeing those preferences divvied up state by state. And um, is, is something that our industry is well poised to, to, to handle um, on more of a, a micro level below just the, uh, the jurisdiction. Let's wrap up there. Thanks so much, uh, Lindsay Slater, Amanda Brewer, Troy Ross, Phil Gray, uh, Mark Silver. Um, we, uh, as everybody who listens to the show frequently understands, we, we do take the LinkedIn audio shows and, and create a podcast that will drop either over the weekend or, or first thing first thing Monday morning. Uh, you can find the podcast on GamingNewsCanada.ca or on the various podcast platforms. Uh, great conversation as always this week. Thanks everybody who, uh, who joined in on LinkedIn Audio. Uh, we do this every Thursday afternoon between 1 and 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, please, everybody, enjoy the, the rest of your week. Uh, and to uh, if anyone in the U.S. is listening, uh, have a, just a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving. And we'll see everybody again next week. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.